Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I am probably still in a little bit of a salty mood coming off the SEC championship on Saturday, Georgia's exclusion from the college football playoff on Sunday. That means with some of the topics that kind of come up on the show here right now, I don't know that I am necessarily going to assume positive intent on the part of the people that we're talking about. Uh, I think I'm going to be a little bit skeptical about some actions from some people just because I think in this current landscape of college football, that just seems to be the in vogue point of view to uh, express. What is it that Ronald Reagan once famously said, trust but verify? I guess there's some of that with me here where obviously everybody who's kind of in charge of this sport is probably just sort of doing the best they can. But at the same time, examining their actions and examining the potential motive for their actions At this point in time, I think that's probably worth doing just given how little trust seems to exist around the college football landscape here right now. So it is with that in mind that we look at the 2024 schedule that was released uh, yesterday. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution had this. We knew it was coming at some point in time in December. Uh, It did get leaked out there yesterday. Most of this was kind of as could have been expected. Chris Lowe had already had some reporting on this, and you kind of start piecing the rest of the games in there, and you're sort of left with what those dates would likely to be. But there are a couple of things that sort of jump out to me pretty much right away when you look at this 2024 schedule. So I want to give this to you here right now. We'll put it on the screen. I'll read the dates to you if you've missed it, but then we'll react to a little bit of this. It's Clemson to begin the season, August 31st. That's at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's Tennessee Tech uh, the next week after that. First SEC game, of course, in Lexington against Kentucky. That's weird because it's Brock Vandergrift, we would presume, as the Kentucky starting quarterback. Also, crazy, crazy early in the season could be going to Lexington compared to what typically uh, happens. Because of the late date of Thanksgiving next year, you have longer stretch of Saturdays than normal. This is one of those weird years in which there's two off weeks. So Georgia is off before traveling to Alabama on September 28th. Then it's uh, Auburn on October 5th, Mississippi State on October 12th. Texas, as had been reported, will be the uh, date for Georgia in Austin on October 19th. Then you're off playing Florida uh, the following week, November 2nd, in Jacksonville. And then the uh, final month of the season concludes with Ole Miss in Oxford, Tennessee in Athens, November 16th. And then it's UMass, Georgia Tech, two non-conference games to close it all out. Now, let me give you one thing for free, and then I want to jump into what I really want to talk about here for a moment. When you look at this schedule, please don't lose sight of this that Georgia plays at Alabama on September 28th, and then they host Auburn on October 5th. Now, let me tell you why I think this is interesting. Because it was only a couple of years ago that the SEC moved heaven and earth on behalf of Auburn, who did not want to play Georgia and Alabama within the same month. They were whining and complaining about the fact, oh, we got to play Alabama and Georgia to conclude the season in November. If there's anything we can do to get some distance between those two games, uh, we'll do that. And sure enough, uh, the SEC did exactly what Auburn wanted and took the Deep South's oldest rivalry and moved it much earlier in the season, completely breaking with normal tradition of what had been true for a long time. for reasons that had nothing to do with benefiting Georgia, for reasons that only benefited Auburn. 
but they did it anyway because that's what Auburn had wanted. They were just so, oh my gosh, it's just so overwhelmingly difficult to have to play Georgia and Alabama in the same month. We need some distance there. So isn't the irony somewhat weird, or at least certainly very noticeable, that the very first time the SEC debuts, at least a version of what is a new scheduling format, kind of a one-off year for 2024, but nonetheless, the very first time the SEC debuts this brand new schedule, what do they do after acquiescing to Auburn to say, okay, you guys can't play Georgia and Alabama even in the same month, so therefore we'll put you know several weeks worth of distance between these two games for you. <laughs> the SEC uh, then gives Georgia a schedule that includes Alabama and Auburn in back-to-back weeks back-to-back weeks now you say well Auburn's not that good you got to play somebody maybe it doesn't matter and it probably doesn't matter all that much but it's the kind of thing that should not go unnoticed at one point in time the entire league twisted itself into a pretzel and undid all kinds of uh you know history and tradition because Auburn needed a little bit of space between its game with uh with, with Alabama and Georgia and now for the uh, 2024 schedule yeah we'll just slap Alabama and Auburn for Georgia in back-to-back weeks no big deal and the truth is it's not even the most noticeable part of the schedule but it's the kind of thing that we didn't want to quite go unnoticed we're going to be looking at everything very closely here moving forward and so that's one of those things you can't help but miss but that's it let me kind of move on to what I really want to get to here just for a moment which is sort of a hot take and sort of a conspiracy theory about the 2024 schedule here for George let me start with the hot take You know, when you think about Clemson being on this schedule here for 2024, you can't help but think about what happened for Georgia back in 2021. When the run towards an eventual national championship, which turned into a back-to-back national championship, when all of that took place, it started with that game against Clemson. And it's a weird feeling, you know, to kind of go back and think about now because of how much has changed. But really, Georgia went into that game with Clemson with more to prove Clemson had been in every playoff what since 2015 they'd won two national championships Georgia by comparison had only won uh, one trip to the playoff had not won a national championship and in 2020 and 2019 and 2018 had kind of been taking steps farther and farther away from actually getting to the playoff so when those two teams met in Charlotte in the 2021 season, we've talked about this before, when those two teams met in Charlotte to begin the 2021 season, it was really Georgia trying to show that it could be on the same level as Clemson. Clemson was even a point spread favorite in that game. That's the last time Georgia's been uh, an underdog at all. It's certainly the last time it's been an underdog in the regular season. I believe it's the last time that Georgia was an underdog of any form or fashion, I believe. Uh, but it was Georgia who had more to prove during the game than Clemson probably did. And the famous quote from Kirby Smart at the end of the game, I think still rings in the ears of many Georgia fans when he gave you one of his great sort of catchphrase but the idea that Georgia wanted to prove its so-called elite status there in that spot in fact as a way of kind of setting us up for what I want to talk about here for a moment let's go back and hear Kirby Smart on the ESPN broadcast after Georgia beat Clemson in 2021 to begin the season this is what Kirby Smart said coach for you you built your career on defense you know what good defense looks like how do you describe what you saw out there tonight aggressive getting after it you're either elite or you're not. And that's what we've been saying all camp. You're either elite or you're not. 
And tonight, we played a really good game defensively. And look, guys, Clemson's got an unbelievable team. But I'm so proud for our university to come in this atmosphere, in their backyard, where they play their ACC championship game, and come here and win this game. A lot of resiliency and a lot of composure. It's one of my favorite moments from the Kirby Smart era. In fact, when we uh, this past summer kind of did a ranking of like the top 100 moments of the back-to-back national championships, and I included that as one of the ones that I submitted, which ultimately became a little bit of a like a social media type campaign for us a little bit, because I love Kirby Smart saying, hey, you're either elite or you're not. And we wanted to come into their backyard, Charlotte, a place that Clemson played frequently because it's the, the host site for the ACC championship game. And we wanted to show this Clemson program, which undeniably had been elite, you know, consecutive playoff appearances all those years, six years in a row, I think it was, two national championships. No doubt Clemson, an elite program, uh, five years in a row maybe it was for Clemson to play. Either way, no doubt Clemson, an elite program, back-to-back national champions. And Kirby Smart said in September of 2021, we want to show them that we're elite too. And we want to show them that we're truly elite, maybe even more elite than Clemson was. That was the put-up-or-shut-up game for Georgia, where if Georgia had lost that game, some very big and some very tough questions would have been asked about the Georgia program. You know that's true. Many of you lived through that moment. You realize how significant that Georgia game was for UGA. And I believe that there is a game like that on the 2024 schedule for Georgia as well. But even though this schedule includes Clemson, it's obviously not the Clemson game that we feel that way about. I believe it is when Georgia goes to Alabama, this is going to be Georgia's newest version of the you're either elite or you're not type game. Now, you know what a little bit of the chatter here is right now when it comes to George comparison to Alabama after two straight national championships and a 29-game winning streak. When that ends at the hands of the Crimson Tide, there's this talk of, oh, well, there just, go- it just goes to show you Kirby Smart can't beat Nick Saban. Yeah, he may have beaten him once, but he can't beat That's the kryptonite for George and all this kind of stuff. Even some Georgia fans sort of say stuff like that. Now, the response I always want to give is, well, actually, when you look at the small number of wins for Georgia against Alabama in the Kirby Smart Nick Saban era, some of that speaks to moments in which Georgia didn't fully take care of its business. That's certainly true. But a lot of that also kind of speaks as well to the idea that Georgia and Alabama haven't always gotten to play maybe as frequently as they could have in a way that would have benefited Georgia. For instance, you know, Alabama wasn't good enough to play Georgia in 2022. They didn't qualify to play that game, either in the SEC championship or the college football playoff. That would have been a chance for Kirby Smart to earn another win against Nick Saban, possibly. But when those games took place, Nick Saban was nowhere to be found. The Alabama Crimson Tide was nowhere to be found. Important to kind of, uh, you know, keep that in mind. Same thing in 2017. Obviously, these two teams battled uh, hard fought in the national championship, but Georgia also won the SEC that year the team that was certainly good enough to beat Alabama and if Alabama had been good enough to qualify for the SEC championship that year maybe Georgia could have won that game see it seems like there's a nasty habit on the part of Alabama when Georgia is perhaps good enough to win Alabama somehow not quite good enough to qualify for the SEC championship where that perhaps could have taken place something to keep in mind here we don't really view Alabama as some sort of kryptonite uh, about Georgia we just sort of view that as a game that Georgia needs to win whether it be the SEC championship this past Saturday or the regular season matchup coming up in 2024 and I'm right about this right the only previous this is kind of a weird thing the only previous regular season matchup 
for Georgia and Alabama during the Kirby Smart era was the pandemic year of 2020. I believe I'm right about that. Uh, it's really a rare occurrence for these two teams to play in the regular season. But for Georgia, this is a date that ought to already be circled. This is, to use Kirby Smart's own words, own words, and you're either elite or you're not type of deal here. Because if Georgia can go on the road and beat Alabama in the 2024 season, then it kind of shows that everything that Georgia has had in 2021 and 2022 is possibly restored for the 2024 campaign. But if Alabama beats Georgia again, then the idea that you can push back on the Crimson Tide, not really Georgia's kryptonite or anything like that, that kind of stuff does become a little bit harder to push back against, admittedly, if Alabama earns another win against Georgia. Now, at the moment here, we don't know what the overall you know, rosters will look like for either of these two teams. There's a lot that's going to happen between now and late September next year when these two teams play. But this will be an you're either elite or you're not type showdown for UGA that is on the way so a little bit of a hot take for you there on that and how about a little bit of a conspiracy theory there is one thing right now that everybody seems to be noticing about the Georgia schedule if you're the kind of Georgia fan that likes to travel when possible to some of these games and you've heard us talk about it a little bit during our R.S. Andrews cool down we mentioned this with Connor Riley during an interview he did on the show with us a couple of weeks ago he was the first person I believe to point this out to me because unlike a lot of my Gen Z friends I'm not the world's biggest uh Formula One racing fan I know Drive to Survive and I know Max Verstappen and some of that kind of stuff but I don't follow the circuit all that closely necessarily just other than some general awareness but what Connor who does I think follow the sport pointed out the other day is is that the rumored date for Georgia and Texas October 19th was the same weekend that the American Grand Prix takes place at the Circuit of the Americas, which is just outside of Austin. Now, that's an event that hundreds of thousands of people travel into the Austin area to attend, and it's been true over and over and over again. And it's the kind of thing that provides a huge headache, potentially, for Georgia fans who would want to be there. In fact, some of you are reacting to me about this. I want to show you this uh, as an example. George Armstrong wrote into me and to say, this is yesterday, is the SEC stupid or are they just happy to be cruel to Georgia? Georgia and Texas is the same weekend as a huge F1 race? That's a huge mistake. There'll be no hotel rooms, no restaurants. They'll all be overloaded. Flights will be impossible to get, et cetera, et cetera. And it's obviously a travel nightmare. George is right about that. Other Georgia fans have expressed the same feeling to me. I just used George's tweet as an example of what many Georgia fans are saying. How could the SEC allow Georgia to travel in to Austin the same weekend as the American Grand Prix right there at the Circuit of the Americas? Are they just dumb? And as I said to kick off today's show, I am no longer assuming positive intent unless it is obvious that it should be uh, that kind of uh, consideration given. When you go back and look at Texas, if I've done the research correct, and that's always, I guess, a possibility that I haven't, but if you look at the, the, the um, situation at Texas, they have not played a home game the same weekend as the American Grand Prix since 2017. And in 2020, I should say in 2012, when they played at home for a, you know, the, the big race weekend, it was a big enough deal. A lot of news stories got wrote about it and things like that. But in 2018, 2019, 2021, 2022, Texas has not been – Either they've been off or they've been on the road the weekend of the American Grand Prix. So how could it possibly be that all of a sudden after not playing year after year after year after year, uh, not playing at home the weekend of this big race that brings hundreds of thousands of people into the Austin area, 
How could it possibly be that they would want that game to take place the week of the Georgia-Texas game, which in the first year of the expanded 16-team SEC may be the biggest of all the games? Georgia taking its first trip to Texas uh, with Texas a member of the SEC. How could they possibly want to cram that game the same weekend as the American Grand Prix? Well, the only thing I can conclude is maybe this was done on purpose. If it was this big of a... Uh, of a potential mass potential debacle if all of that was as much of a logistical nightmare as it seems like it might be georgia fans unable to get airfare georgia fans who want to travel to the game unable to get hotels georgia fans who want to go to uh you know uh what's the famous barbecue place or something like that uh georgia fans who want to do all that kind of stuff uh not being able to get in there oh well maybe texas saw all this and said hey, how do we keep these visiting fans out of our stadium? Well, let's do it the same way as the American Grand Prix. Now, I can't prove this, but as I said before, I'm no longer assuming positive intent on stuff like this. Many Texas fans who would go to the game don't need hotels, so the fact the hotels are full, that's no big deal to them necessarily. Uh, we do know there was some kind of funny business involved with Alabama's trip to play Texas a couple of years ago prior, obviously, to Texas coming to the SEC. We know that Texas put the entirety of the Alabama fan base, all of their allotment of visitors tickets 4500 up in the upper deck including the band alabama then tried to return the favor to texas this past year so we know there was a little bit of funny business as it relates to uh alabama taking a trip to austin a couple of years ago we also know this Georgia fans completely took over Notre Dame Stadium back in 2017 because of the unique nature of traveling to that venue something that Georgia fans had never gotten a chance to do does it feel like Daryl K. Royal Stadium uh, in Texas could be the same type of deal here? Well, if that's the case, Georgia fans just as excited about descending upon Austin as they were South Bend a couple of years ago, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't put it past Texas to do anything it could to prevent that from happening. In fact, let's go back to 2017 here for a moment. The South Bend Tribune is the newspaper, obviously, in South Bend, Indiana, and on September 14, 2017, they published a long series of letters that had been written into the South Bend Tribune about how embarrassed Notre Dame fans were about having their entire stadium taken over. The headline was Letters, Embarrassed and Appalled by All That Georgia Red. And you go on to see letter after letter after letter of Notre Dame fans calling out their own people for selling all those tickets to Georgia fans. And if Notre Dame fans were capable of doing that in 2017 and creating embarrassment for the program, is it possible that Texas would want to avoid that same kind of embarrassment in its first year in the SEC? And is it possible that the best way to play defense on that is to intentionally ask to have the Georgia game placed the exact same week as a time in which getting hotels and travel into Austin is going to be incredibly difficult because the hundreds of thousands of fans who we're on hand for the uh, formula one race we are certainly not going to uh, uh, assume positive intent on this when it seems like something could be a little bit weird we're going to ask some big questions about that and i think questions ought to be asked about that there as well now here's what i also know georgia fans will still find their way in georgia fans will still uh travel they'll just stay farther out or spend more money or whatever georgia fans won't be denied on this but don't put it past texas in its first year in the sec to try to do what it could to attempt to deny them there and if you're a UGA fan who's already a little salty about everything that's gone on this week, being a little salty about this, I think you're well within your rights to feel that way. 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldog. It's Franklin's Barbecue. Thank you very much. Michael Carvel, one of our producers, it's Franklin's Barbecue there in Austin that Georgia fans might not be able to get into because of all the F1 fans who are going to be there. Anyway, Dog Nation Daily. We're presented by Meriwether and Tharp today. We're live on video across all video platforms, radio, Athens Sports Radio, 96 The Ref, podcasts, all the various places you can get the uh, show. We are just so happy to have you as a part of our program. When you talk about making travels to the big Georgia games, some of the folks who I know are going to be doing that, our friends uh, Bob and Ashley Tharp, the uh, folks there from Merriweather and Tharp, saw, saw Bob and Ashley there at the uh, tailgate for us this past Saturday at the SEC Championship and any kind of big-time event we have going on in Austin, which – Hey, we still plan on doing. We won't. We, we won't let uh, Max Verstappen and uh, uh, Lewis is, and Hamilton. What's, what's Hamilton's first name? Uh, Lewis. Yeah, Lewis Hamilton. We're not gonna let any of those guys take this from us. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find our way into the Lone Star State for all of that. The point is, we'll have more announcements about that kind of stuff coming up in the near future. Uh, but I know our friends from Merriweather and Thought want to be a part of that with us because they love to have fun with Georgia fans. They are all about that. But they also know that not everything in life is fun. Not everything in life feels the way that you want it to feel. And one of the things that can bring about some feelings that are negative and some energy that has to be confronted that's not positive, that's related to the divorce process. And honestly, you've heard me say this before. If I could do something to take this from you, I absolutely would. In fact, I would encourage you, if your marriage can be saved, you ought to try to do everything you can to do that. I, I truly believe that. And our friends at Meriwether and Tharp don't mind me saying that. And if you can save your marriage, you should. But if you find yourself in a situation where it is an obvious next step for you that the relationship is just severed it's 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 broken beyond repair if that is where you kind of find yourself where divorce is right for you moving forward if that's the uh, situation you find yourself in then our friends at Meriwether and Tharp want to help you in your time of need and one of the specific ways they want to offer that help to you is helping make sense of the financial arrangement around the divorce process people want cost certainty related to a lot of this and that's what Meriwether and Tharp can provide for you there as well there's a DIY option that's as low as $99 there's an assisted model uh that can be $1,749. That's what the start's at. Uh, a lot of folks are talking about this model M&T right now, a level of service, which is another way to get great cost uh, certainty and have a, a great level of assisted service from our friends at Meriwether and Tharp. And this can kind of come via like a monthly subscription that you just sort of pay throughout the process as the divorce process is ongoing or kind of a flat fee if you'd prefer that there as well. There's also a more traditional level of coverage if that's what fits the specific situation of your circumstances. All of those options are available from our friends at Meriwether and Thought. We always say they're your source for Georgia divorce, and now they've got a brand new website to reflect that. It's georgiadivorceteam.com. That's georgiadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp expanding beyond just the Atlanta area. Office is opening in Savannah, coming soon in Athens and places like that. And so they are, because they've had so much success helping so many people in a very difficult time of life, they're expanding out now into other markets here in the state of Georgia to provide that same level of service to folks in their time of need, uh, whether you're in Savannah, Athens, places like that. There are some really, really good uh, options coming for you in terms of all of that, if that's one of the market areas you find yourself in. So check them out online, georgiadivorceteam.com. All right. It is Terrence Edwards here coming up in just a moment. Always happy to have Terrence part of the program. Also, Terrence got a big moment here coming up in a few days as his Milton Eagles will compete for a state championship in the 7A classification. We'll talk briefly about that to Terrence. Also, everything else going on with Georgia here in a minute there as well. Prior to that, let us go around the doghouse. And it's presented today by our friends at ServePro. And I want to kind of put to bed here for a moment a rumor that I believe is totally and completely unfounded 
And I think we kind of know the so-called like patient zero for like how this rumor kind of took off in the uh, you know social media sphere. I believe that there's been a huge misunderstanding here as it relates to all of this. Let me show you this from Tim Reynolds on the screen. Tim's a sports writer down there in the state of Florida, and he announced yesterday. Now, I want you to notice this. This tweet got 2.1 million views. That's a lot of views for a random tweet about a press conference, which gives you an idea of the energy that exists around this topic right now. But Reynolds, who's a longtime writer down there, says the Orange Bowl has canceled. It's news conference with Georgia's Kirby Smart and Florida State's Mike Norvell tomorrow. Now, that's just factually accurate. The, the press conference really was canceled. It was supposed to take place today. Now it's not. But that kind of got the whole world sort of stirred up about what has been talked about. I think that Dave Portnoy was one of the first to bring this up, the idea that Florida State ought to boycott its bowl game. I think that Danny Cannell's done some of this there as well about, you know, the idea of, you know, do you even play? Do you boycott the game? So there had been a little bit of like – you know, sort of hot take chatter out there. Of, you know, Florida State ought to boycott the game for not making the college football playoff. And then that it kind of already exists as an idea. And so when the press conference was canceled, this kind of gave people some, some reason to say, well, gosh, maybe they are going to boycott this game if the press conference got canceled. Here, though, is what's really going on. And you don't care about media stuff, but this is just the way that it is. These two coaches just did a teleconference thing on Sunday we're going to play you a clip from Kirby Smart in a moment that came from that teleconference we've already played some of that on the show here this week so they've already talked about the Rose uh, the Rose Bowl if only the Rose Bowl they've already talked about the Orange Bowl you know Sunday now all we are here on Thursday there's nothing new to talk about in fact the only thing that they could talk about if this game was discussed today is who's not playing you know uh do you worry about motivation so this is one of those things where Mike Norvell and Kirby Smart, who legitimately want to be recruiting high school kids or players on their own roster who might transfer or portal kids who might come in. After all, you know, Florida State's been mentioned as a possible landing spot for like Cam Ward, things like that. These coaches are very busy right now, so they have the leverage to go to the Orange Bowl to say, do you really want us to do another press conference and shine a light on how nobody cares about this year's Orange Bowl? And the Orange Bowl folks, who for the most part can live in their ivory tower of thinking that everybody thinks the Orange Bowl is just the biggest deal in the world, well, they are forced to draw the conclusion of, no, this is probably not the most pleasant news cycle for us if it's two coaches being asked questions about opt-outs and things like that. So therefore, it just makes sense for all parties to cancel the press conference. That is what this is. This is not a precursor to a cancellation by Florida State. They'd lose millions of dollars. They're simply not going to do that. George is not going to do that either. You can turn down a trip to the NIT basketball tournament. That doesn't cost you anything. But you can't turn down the Orange Bowl. There's just too much money to be made from being mayor in Florida State and the poverty ACC needs every dollar it can get. So they're clearly not turning down a trip to the Orange Bowl. But there is admittedly a little bit of a weird vibe around this game. Speaking of Danny Canal, he's one of the people out there that continues to sort of fan the flame because he is sort of a anti-SEC guy, but also a former Seminole. He's one of those guys that continues to sort of fan the flame about the anger that Florida State ought to feel about the exclusion from the college football playoff. I want to show you this. There's a website called Awful Announcing. They put out a headline yesterday of, will ESPN ever be able to shake the claim of SEC bias? 
And Danny Cannell responds to that on Twitter by saying, you can't shake what is real. In other words, Danny Cannell says, the only reason Alabama made the uh, playoff over Florida State is because of an SEC bias on the part of ESPN and some of this sort of centering around some anger that Florida State fans have had with Kirk Herbstreit. There was also this weird thing where Joe Tessitore was down like a Florida State or I should say a Tallahassee touchdown club meeting this week, and he just got grilled by all those Seminoles fans down there on that. So there's a little bit of anger right now between Florida State and um, and, and ESPN here right now. Danny Cannell is obviously sort of fanning the flames there on all of that. But this is where I come in to say, hold on, SEC bias – if there's an SEC bias in place, then wouldn't Georgia, who's won 29 of its last 30 games, wouldn't Georgia have gotten more consideration for the college football playoff? You know, the idea that Alabama made it because of an SEC bias, where was that SEC bias in favor of Georgia, who obviously would be a huge favorite over Texas and Washington, all these other teams that got in that beat Michigan, uh, you know, 40-something to whatever, just two years ago in the Orange Bowl, uh, you know, coincidentally enough. You know, where's that consideration for Georgia if there's a so-called SEC bias? So I don't want to hear any of that from Danny Cannell or anybody else with the idea that there's a bias in favor of the SEC because the SEC team that's won the last two national champions apparently didn't get, didn't get much of a hearing about whether or not it makes the uh, college football playoff. But this is where some words from Kirby Smart I think are pretty interesting. I'm going to play you this clip. They're going to bring on Terrence Edwards and we'll you know, keep the uh, conversation going. I'm a little late getting to Terrence today. But here's something that Kirby Smart brought up on Sunday. And this is the thing you should not miss. Whether it's the gripe about Florida State not getting in or the gripe about Georgia not even really getting considered. You know, in a four-team playoff, there's always going to be some power from some uh, you know, decision makers to keep a team like Georgia out. And so when you listen closely to the words of Kirby Smart, I think your takeaway moving forward here is, is that Georgia is always going to benefit from as big as you can make the playoff. Maybe Florida State would have benefited from that there as well, that moving forward, you want a better playoff, a better playoff is perhaps a bigger playoff. I'm going to take this clip and break it in half here, play one, play the other. Kirby Smart saying that on Sunday. This didn't get a lot of attention, but in light of everything that's going on, this to me would be a way to sort of solve everything. Here's Kirby Smart. You know, football is a very unique sport, and it's unlike other sports. And it's hard to say, because I've always wanted to say, you know, the 64 tournament basketball team, the baseball team, the soccer team, all these sports I follow in college sports, and I love college sports. They're pure people. I go watch college athletics all over the country. I love watching it. They can go have these big pools and big tournaments to determine who the national champion is, and it just seems fair, and nobody's upset with it. And college football – hasn't really been able to get that done because it's much harder in a sport where you play uh, the game is so physical and it's once a week and you can't have a 60-14 playoff at the end of a regular season. So the model becomes what is the appropriate model and where is the number? Um, And they've landed now on 12. Um, There will be a debate over who's 13-14. There'll always be that debate. I certainly don't think it will be an undefeated uh, team that that gets left out of that. It may be from a a non-power five. So I, I agree with the sentiment that Kirby Smart's expressing here. He even mentioned the idea of a 64-team tournament, which is never going to happen. But the point here is bigger is better because bigger takes power away from the people who get to do the deciding. In a four-team playoff world with five Power Five conferences, that's maximum power for people that I'm not quite so sure deserves. And then in terms of the overall comparison between like a Georgia and a Florida State or a Georgia and a Texas or a Georgia and a Washington, a team like that, you know, Kirby Smart also goes on to sort of cite the NFL model in all of this. There's a 
point that Smart makes in the midst of this discussion that I do think is really interesting. Here's Kirby Smart again. When you look at it and you say the, the playoff model that the NFL's put in place, you know, it's earned on the field. They have a lot more parity than we do. There's a lot, I mean, there's eight and eight teams making the, the playoffs. And, it, you know, their schedule gets set for them from a league. Um, and the schedule's set that way, so there's a little more balance when it comes to it. But if you look at the bigger picture, you know, until it's regulated by some supreme body, it's probably not going to be balanced. It's going to be led by conferences that are merging together in different forms, and you're never going to be able to have a long tournament because people can't play these number of games uh, that long. So we'll find out how the 12 works. Certainly would have been good for Georgia the last – four to five years because you know we'd have been we'd been in the hunt we'd have been we would have had a shot just like uh, fsu this year so we'll see where it goes in the future there's two things that kirby smart says there that i don't think you should miss now he's not jumping up on the table slamming his fist down to make the case but the point stands on its own in terms of the idea that florida state thinks it was robbed by some sort of sec bias because they had zero losses kirby smart says this isn't the nfl we're not all playing the same schedule here so don't tell me about your losses tell me about your wins and obviously in a deficient acc those are not going to be very impressive wins and the other thing here is a lot of georgia fans have a lot of different opinions about what they like and don't like with the college football playoff but what kirby smart says there is if you want the best for georgia it's a bigger playoff that serves you well because when georgia gets a chance to play teams from outside the sec whether it's michigan in 2021 or Oregon to begin last season, Clemson to begin the year two years ago, TCU in a national championship, that typically goes pretty well for UGA. So the bigger it is, the less power the committee has to take it away from Georgia, the better that will be for Georgia in the long run. And that is Around the Doghouse, presented today by Serve Pro. And of course, there's a mess to clean up for college football right now, but if you find yourself needing to clean up your own mess because of fire damage, water intrusion, something like that, trust the restoration specialist of Serve Pro to get it done for you. Their folks will put it back together for you like, you, like it never even happened, which is exactly what you want in a situation like that. Every Serve Pro franchise also independently owned and operated there as well. That means you're doing business with somebody that's got a vested interest in the outcome. So find them online at servepro.com. That's S E R V, servepro.com. Great to have Serve Pro with us for around the doghouse here today. All right, before we're done, a lot of transfer portal rumors and things like that. We'll cover that as it relates to the rest of the SEC and college football. But for now, What's next for Georgia? Weird vibe around the Orange Bowl and everything else as it relates to these dogs. How about Terrence Edwards here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. I am late getting to Terrence Edwards today, so I absolutely apologize uh, about that with him, but let me also try to make it up to him by talking about a topic that i know he's very happy about how about them milton eagles on their way to the 7a state championship game in mercedes-benz stadium a few days from now in an unbelievable showdown with uh, walton should be a uh, fun clash there terrence as a coach i know how much this means to you to be a part of the state championship and you know obviously this is a program that's had great success since you've been there so congratulations to all of you uh another great win for you all this past friday night and a chance to take that final step potentially towards the state championship coming up uh not this weekend but a couple of days after that to begin what next week uh you know the week after that i should say uh there at mercedes-benz stadium so congratulations on all of that and uh welcome to our program here today Thank you, B.A. Thank you very much. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't give us a chance versus Colquitt, and we went out and won that game, and no one really gave us a chance against Grayson either. And the kids stood up, 
uh, went out and played uh, up to their abilities. And here we go. We're in the state finals against a great Walton team that can score points. So it should be a great uh, 7A championship game next on the 13th Wednesday. That's exactly right. It's going to be a Wednesday the 13th. And for all these guys, good chance to play Mercedes-Benz Stadium. This is a kind of a return back to the big house for that after being, what, at Georgia State State in the last couple of years. And, you know, weather's been kind of an issue there. What does it mean for these players, do you think, to get a chance to finish a season in Mercedes-Benz Stadium like that? How valuable is whether that be a Milton player or a Walton player or 6A, 5A, on down the line here, what do you think it means to players to play a game like that in Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Well, I'm going to take you back, you know, when I was a player, and that was kind of the goal um, when as a player, get to the Dome. That was for us, get to the Dome. And back then we played the semifinals in the Dome and played the state championship game on the home field. Um, so it, it is a great accomplishment, and even for this team. It's always been a mantra for every team. Every team want to finish the season in the bins, and that if you finish the season in the bins, that means you're in the state championship game and you've done a lot of things right. So uh, it's, it's a big accomplishment. Last year we made it to the semifinals. We got beat by Mill Creek, who deserving it so was the best team in 7A last year. So this team understands how important it is to just uh, – just finish the drill, and that's one of the mantras that I'm always gonna gonna sit with. And they got an opportunity it. to finish the drill that we didn't finish last year. I, I certainly love that. I want to get to what did not go well for Georgia in the SEC championship here in a moment. Before that, talking a little bit about you know what seems like a little bit of a weird vibe around the Orange Bowl. You know, there's even been some chatter around Florida State fans of should our team even play in this game because of how upset they are about not making the college football playoff. And obviously, we've seen Georgia, unfortunately, in this spot a few years ago where. You're likely to have opt-outs. You're likely to have some players trying to figure out truly what their level of motivation is. You know, what do you make around the vibe around this game where, frankly, both teams, I think, had a you know argument to make the college football playoff. Florida State's case seems to be getting more credence right now. But Georgia had a very deserving uh, you know part in that discussion, too. What do you make around the vibe around the Orange Bowl right now? Well, I'm just saying my perspective as a player. I, I really feel bad for Florida State. Um, you're asked to go out and win every game, and that's what those those players and coaches did. And my only issue with them not being out of the playoffs or being out of the playoffs the week before you rank them fourth, they win and get dropped. And, yes, I think Alabama and Texas are a better team, but they did exactly what you asked them to do in a Power 5 conference. If you didn't think they was the one of the best teams, you should not have ranked them for the previous week. Should have knocked them out, and I don't think it would have been such a big deal. But I feel bad for them. But the vibe around is, you know, this is college football now. If you're not in a in a playoff, you're going to have teams yeah. um, and players opt out. Um, I think, and I, I, I tweeted this the other day about Brock, and I 100% think Brock shouldn't play. He's been injured this year. I don't think last year played. I don't think Amaris Mim should play. Those guys have been injured all year. They, they, you know, have the opportunity of a lifetime to fulfill a lifelong dream of getting drafted. So they have to go and put their best foot forward. But like Kendall Milton, I respect him. Um, he's already came out and said he's going to play because he's been hurt. So he want to continue on this high note that he's been. He want to finish it strong. So everyone have different reasons for opting out. And I don't have a problem with players not wanting to play. Um, this gives us opportunity to see some younger guys that who's going to be on the team next year and go be contributors. We get opportunity to see them play and them yeah. get the reps going into spring. 
And I think that's a really good point that, you know, college football is such a resilient sport that no matter how much weirdness creeps in, the game just seems to survive and thrive. And what you just said is true. Obviously, I would love to watch the Georgia players that Georgia fans have been cheering for all season long. But if it's some guys getting an opportunity to kind of show now what they could possibly do next year, Terrence, I think that's really interesting too. You know, you know, if Georgia goes to Miami with a limited roster, it seems very likely that it might. Um, that can still be a pretty compelling football game if these are guys that you think could be big parts of your building block for the 2024 season. Honestly, sign me up to watch that just as much as anything. Yes, I think it's, it's kind of like a – we always uh, look at it like this, B.A. We always talk about the spring game is playing against each other. This is a kind of bona fide spring game when you get opportunity to play against a, a different opponent. We, we get opportunity to see – some young cornerback, like who's going to be the, the cornerback that's probably going to take uh, last of this fight because we all assume he's right. going to go in the NFL. A.J. Harris might be the other guy, so we get an opportunity to see him play. Like the young linebacker, we've seen C.J. Allen play. We've seen Wilson play. Like there are some guys in the secondary that we want to see play. Um, Javon Buller is probably leaving to go into the, to the NFL. Uh, like we can get to see the future of our team next year and see how it's going to shape up in, in this in this bowl game. And I think that's the way we should approach it. I think that's exactly right. If we take Georgia out of this for a moment, do you think that Florida State had a better argument for the playoff than Alabama did, or did you think the committee got it right? I think two things could be true. I think that Alabama and Texas, are, I think they're better teams than Florida State. But Florida State earned, I, I've been saying this all week, Florida State earned the right to go get blown out if that's what would happen. You went out, and the kids did exactly everything that they needed to do. No matter how the win looked, they won the game, and it's all about winning. And, again, if if the committee didn't think Florida State was good enough to compete for a national championship, they weren't good enough the week before with a backup quarterback. Even though it's a third-string quarterback, the backup quarterback who they ranked fourth will play in the, in the, in the college football playoffs. So I just think if they didn't think Florida State was good enough the week before, they shouldn't have ranked them number four and should have just moved them down the week before. And and with Texas and Alabama, with, with Alabama beating us, I knew we was going to be out because they couldn't put us in and not put Alabama in, and they couldn't put Alabama in without putting Texas in because Texas beat them. At it. So it, it, it was just a lot. But just for the game perspective, I think it was just – it was two plays that kind of killed us the whole game. It's the missed field goal and the fumble. Yeah. Um, it was a good football game, in my opinion. We didn't play our best. Alabama didn't make a, a mistake that cost them, and we did, and that's that was the outcome of the game. Well, let me talk to you a little bit more about that SEC championship for a moment. It's obviously a little bit of a sore subject, but we haven't had a chance to hear more from you on this. And so I think you're right. You know, the penalty that backed Georgia up five yards made the uh, field goal more difficult for Woodring, and he missed for what seems like the first time in forever. That's obviously – a really big deal uh the fumble gave Alabama three points and a six point swing like that in a game you lost by three that sort of tells you everything you need to know I think it's also true Terrence that you know and and Jake Fromm talked to us about this yesterday it seems like that Brock Bowers truly was less healthy in this game than he was during the Ole Miss game the, the idea that something happened in that Tennessee game that made Brock more injured than he had been you know some sort of complication I guess getting rolled up on perhaps it seemed like that might have been what you know Jake Fromm you know saw there and unfortunately being held out of the Georgia Tech game was more than just a precaution that Brock Bowers truly was injured obviously Ladd McConkey's been battling that kind of stuff all year long and you know not to make excuses because that's what other teams do but 
you know, it certainly seems like Georgia was less than its full firepower offensively with Bowers clearly less than 100 percent and McConkie, who's just been battling, battling various things all year long. Yeah, well, most definitely. I mean, we didn't have our arsenal of, of weapons. Uh, Rod Rod Thomas wasn't able to play. Ladd is 75 percent, maybe. Brock was definitely not the Brock that we know. Uh, Amaris Mims, for whatever reason, only played a few snaps in the game. So offensively, we were definitely handicapped in the weapons that we can put out there, even though the weapons we did put out there is, is pretty good. But uh, Brock didn't appear to be as explosive as he normally is. So I, I would agree with Jake that that's something more than that was led on to be, that he, maybe he was hurt a little bit more um, in the game and definitely why he didn't play in the, in the Georgia Tech game. So, but we're not going to make excuses. Everybody wanted to discredit our championships because of Marvin Harrison got hurt and the Alabama receivers got hurt. So we're, I, we're not going to go and do the exact same thing that others have done to us. I'm going to congratulate Alabama. They won 27-24. Um, so go represent the conference like you should. Um, but we didn't. We still had an opportunity to win that game. And we fell short. So in the time we have left, I want to talk about a little bit about what comes next for George and the rest of college football. We're obviously in the opening of the transfer portal, and it is crazy, Terrence. I know you follow the news like I do. It's like every five seconds there's some big name. Sometimes it's a Georgia player, but in a lot of cases, just other players run the SEC in college football, and there's rumors of transfers. There's confirmation of transfers. It's just sort of all over the place right now. I know you work with a lot of college players. You know, one of the guys, like, say, Justin Robinson, who was on the Georgia roster a couple of years ago, transferring to Mississippi State, thinking that's a better option for him. You know, talk to me about this from the player perspective here for a moment, how they go through the the process of figuring out, okay, is my path to playing time with my current team? Do I have a better chance of getting that somewhere else? Maybe in other instances, does the team are they, are they trying to push me out so they can bring in a transfer i mean it just seems like players these days have a lot they have to consider with all of this as someone who you know plays a close role in the lives of a lot of these players you know what's that process like i can tell you this that a lot of fans probably don't don't know or probably have not even thought about a lot of the transfers is because the player wants a better situation but there are times that players have asked and told that it's probably in their best interest to transfer. So everything that you see and read is not necessarily true. Every player is not jumping into the portal to try to access NIA money. Um, some were told, you know, it's probably best for you to look for a different situation. Uh, so each opportunity is different. Uh, I've been, you know, fortunate enough to train a lot of kids and now tra- kids that now is in the portal and just talking through them. It's a lot to do with uh, just playing time. Most of it is playing time, uh, trying to find a better situation where they could, they could get more playing time. And 99% of the time, is, it's about a better opportunity, what they think or perceive to be a better opportunity elsewhere. It's a difficult situation for everyone because we see so many kids jump into the portal. I'm just telling you, I've always said, said this, I really don't, I just think there's, got to be some rules mm-hmm. and structure to the portal. I don't care for kids coming in for one year, not even being here for a full year and jumping to the portal before the season over with. Like, there's got to be some type of – like, you don't, you haven't even went through anything yet. As a true freshman, you're not playing. Like, that adversity is going to strike in life, and you just can't up and run. So, like, Brock Vandegrift, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate him so much because he did stick it out. He tried to – 
uh, earned playing time. He graduated from the University of Georgia. Now it's time for him to go seek opportunity to go play. That's what, in my opinion, that's what the portal was intended for, for guys like Brock Vandegrift. No, I think that's a, certainly a fair point. Speaking of that, let me kind of finish with a couple of names here. So a lot of Georgia fans want to connect the dots that the Vandergrift decision to leave and go to Kentucky should be further confirmation that maybe Carson Beck is going to come back in 2024 and be an established starter to begin the season for UGA, obviously coming off what has been a very very successful season here in 2023. Does the Vandergrift news make you assume that Beck is probably coming back? I would assume, I, I even before Brock decides to transfer, I, would, I didn't think Carson would jump into the draft. I really think with another year, um, him and Shadur Sanders should probably be the top two quarterbacks next year and I'd rather try to compete for a top ten spot than probably, you know, a late first round to a second round pick. There's just more money. Um so I, I never assumed that he would leave. I, I, I would thought he would come back, you know, being at Jordan he's waited this long to be the, the starter. One more year won't hurt. Plus now you get opportunity to, you know, earn money. And BA that's why you see a lot of quarterbacks that are not surefire first round picks jump into the portal. And I was just having a conversation the other day with, about the quarterbacks. If you're not a surefire first-round pick and you're yeah. a late-round pick, why not stay in college and go earn more money in college than you will in the NFL? Yeah. So that's why you see a lot of like uh, the Oklahoma quarterbacks staying for the sixth or seventh year because he can earn more money in college than he as a, as a late-round quarterback. So the dynamics have changed. Everyone don't have to flee now to the NFL to make money because they're able to make money in college. And then finally, you know, one of the things I think that some people kind of behind the scenes are kind of wondering here a little bit, fans kind of talk about this kind of thing, is, you know, someone like Lad McConkey, who we assume is leaving, going on in the NFL, because the injury complications he's dealt with here this year, the fact that it really, you know, has ended up not being the sort of season he would like to have had, do you think that could potentially be enough to make Lad consider coming back to Georgia for one more go at this in 2024 and showing just how good, you know, future NFL scouts, just how, you know, good of a year he can have when he's fully healthy, hopefully for a full season? Yeah, that, now that's one that I'm kind of with Lad. I'm, I'm 50-50 with. It wouldn't surprise me either way if he decided to come back and, and play a full season healthy or just try his luck in the NFL and uh, and just take his chances. He will get drafted. I think a healthy Lad is, is a second-round pick uh, because he's that dynamic. A hurt Lad may hurt his draft status because he didn't stay healthy this year, and he's going to go through a lot of medical uh, throughout this NFL process. Um, so either way he chooses won't surprise me. So uh, Terrence will certainly be watching that very closely. We always appreciate your time, Terrence. Obviously you have great insight on what's happening with UGA. You understand this now as a coach and obviously as a terrific former player at UGA there as well. And as we said, the uh, Empire, Milton Eagles, getting ready to compete for a state championship next Wednesday there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We wish uh, your team very well on all of that. And, of course, as you said, that bubble work, getting ready to get going there in February. So remind people how they can get in touch with the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. You can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, great stuff. We appreciate your time, and we'll look forward to talking to you very soon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, so good stuff from Terrence Edwards, by the way. A quote from McConkie the other day about his uh, future status there. He says, I'm not sure about what I'm going to do. I've got some eligibility left. We'll see what happens uh, next month and go from there. 
We will see. Uh, I don't know yet. I haven't completely made a decision. I'm reading that from our friends at Dogs247 who had that story. Uh, McConkie was up for that award thing the other day. And so uh, he spoke with the uh, National Football Foundation folks. You know, Mark Rick's out there in Las Vegas going to the College Ball Hall of Fame. And Lad McConkie was out there, uh, you know, up for his own honor. And so that's where the quote from uh, McConkie comes there on that. So acknowledging that he does have some eligibility. And then we'll see what he decides to do with all of that and we'll also get ready to go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal Caribbean. now y'all get buckled up because in a minute we're gonna go through like a thousand coaching change rumors transfer portal rumors and all of our heads are gonna be spinning in a couple of seconds here so uh, just get buckled up for all of that but in a time of year like this when it is so busy when there is so much going on you see it right here in the christmas tree the royal caribbean christmas ornament because christmas time of year lets me know that we're almost here for a brand new year and almost ready for all the fun things that Royal Caribbean has in store for 2024. Now, you've heard us talk about brand new ships along the way, like Icon of the Seas, that debuts in January, Utopia of the Seas, that debuts there, Port Canaveral in July. But the other thing that's really fun with all these new ships going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, and all the really good stuff that goes on with these Royal Caribbean cruise uh, vacations is the debut of the Hideaway Beach there at Perfect Day, Coco Cay there as well. You want and listen there is to me nothing more fun than perfect day coco Cay. and a lot of you've seen me and you know that it can be sometimes a little too fun right but it's a great experience nonetheless and it's going to be even better in 2024 with the debut of hideaway beach kind of an adults only type of uh, add-on beach area to the uh, private island oasis that already exists exclusively for those on a royal caribbean cruise vacation you kind of look like the vegas style pool party that is what hideaway beach is going to be uh, and it's going to be an amazing thing that makes uh, perfect day coco k even better so if you're going to be on icon of the seas or utopia of the seas one of these brand new ships sailing in 2024 you also have a chance to enjoy this brand new experience as a part of perfect day coco k jessica slater can tell you all about it. great travel agent and royal caribbean believes that a great travel agent makes a wonderful royal caribbean cruise vacation even better so give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 you can also email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com all right we're gonna bounce through a couple of stories here i thought this was pretty interesting uh that a pretty big name from florida i want to make sure i give you the numbers right on this because one of the top florida edge rushers from a year ago is on his way into the transfer portal it's princely umamlin and i know i uh, probably butchered the last name there on that but you've seen princely out there before uh this is a guy that did not play much you know, coming in the class of 2020, kind of a slow start. Brenton Cox leaves the program. Princely sort of steps in for Florida after that. And four and a half sacks in, a, what, 2022. And then a big year for Florida this past season. Seven sacks for the Gators a year ago. 39 tackles there as well. So when you look at a guy like that going into the transfer portal, this is a guy that's going to have you presume a lot of overtures here uh, for, you know, someone who maybe could have considered going to the NFL, something like that. Maybe feels like he has more to prove at the college level here but over the course of the last couple of seasons you're talking about double digit sacks combined when you look at the last two campaigns for him so potentially a big name here and another pretty sizable loss for florida in terms of their pass rush losing that that's worth watching and seeing where he lands could be interesting stuff and also another blow for florida that needs as much good news during the offseason can possibly get speaking of offseason good news looks like mike elko has got some of that to start his time as texas a&m head coach and to me this is why you hire a coach like this we've said many times before that for all the chatter about mark stoops what that turned out not to be we think that mike elko is a better hire for kentucky than stoops would have been anyway but either way when you're in the business of looking at an experienced head coach for your job 
you're seeing someone has the ability to hit the ground running with key hires there because it's not just the head coach it's obviously how quickly the coach can operate to put a quality staff together and it look it looks like mike elko is certainly doing that bringing in colin klein uh texas i should say uh, kansas state offensive coordinator moving over now to become texas a&m offensive coordinator it's a pretty pretty nice hire for a, for a guy that's had some success there in the little apple as they like to call it manhattan kansas with the wildcats pretty good hire i think for mike elko here an example of like you see a lot of coaches trying to move quick on all of you know these very important hires you see some of that going on at mississippi state too where it looks like their new defensive coordinator uh for a brand new coaching staff is going to be coleman hutzler that's a position coach at alabama moving over take that job there in starkville so a couple of these sec teams that have head coaching fresh new hires uh, they are also starting to make some assistant coaching hires there. So we'll continue to make you aware of this when it all goes down. Also, we have a transfer portal confirmation for Rocket Sanders. This is the former Arkansas running back. There's some early chatter here that Sanders might end up at South Carolina, and that's also just a rumor. Who knows if that's true? Some of these transfer rumors end up not being true. But if it is true, I think it could set up something kind of interesting for South Carolina here during this offseason. You know, a year ago, what we would say is, is that Shane Beamer – had had two very successful first years on the job there with the Gamecocks, but he had a pretty bad offseason last year around this time, and that set the stage for a pretty disappointing on-field season there too. They were decimated in the transfer portal. They lost all kinds of guys, uh, and that probably took away any real chance they had to be bowl eligible and win some games, the kinds of which they had been winning, certainly in the 2022 season. But you've already heard some rumors here and maybe these are unfounded maybe this turns out not to be true that a guy like sanders could maybe come to uh south carolina ironically one of sanders former uh teammates uh, kj jefferson has been thought maybe he'd be a candidate to eventually go to south carolina at least you know you know possibly there on that i think what you're seeing here is that maybe the door kind of swings more in the direction of south carolina bringing guys in this year as opposed to seeing a mass exodus maybe that means they've got some of their nil stuff figured out a little bit i also think it speaks to you know, an offensive coordinator hire a year ago that kind of had us scratching our head a little bit, Dowell Loggins, who had been uh, tight ends coach at Arkansas. You know, maybe this is an example of, well, if you see former Arkansas players at least considering coming back to play for him again, maybe that means that South Carolina's got a pretty good OC in place. And as they move on in some form or fashion, kind of what's next after the Spencer Rattler era, maybe uh, maybe the presence of Loggins ends up being a, a good thing. There had been some chatter that Loggins might be a candidate for other offensive coordinator jobs here this offseason maybe i'm going back to arkansas maybe that's not happening right now so could be the gamecocks are set up to have a better offseason here as the calendar turns to 2024 than what happened for them a year ago and then i'll give you a couple of quarterback rumors here for a moment it has been largely assumed as of late that quinn ewers may be coming back to texas some of this may be based on some of the same reasons that carson Beck is perhaps coming back for georgia here right now which is that the quarterback crop for the 2024 draft is thought to maybe be deeper than it will be in 2025 so someone like Ewers sees a chance to make even more money uh in the 2025 draft than perhaps exists for him in 2024 and maybe make some good money from texas nil in the process so maybe Ewers is coming back at least that's the 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 expected announcement here right now and it stands to reason well if Ewers is coming back what does that mean for the other texas quarterbacks Malik Murphy, who we did see playing some this year for Texas, was a uh, potential candidate to transfer even before the season began. He chose to stay. But the real name everybody's going to be wondering about is what's going to what this means for Arch Manning. Now, 
I sort of suspect the Manning family, who's obviously orchestrating a lot of this for Arch at this point in his career, they're not going to be spooked too much by a guy like Ewers coming back, that if this is happening, then all of this is probably being done with the blessing on high here. And, you know, while Manning has tried to sort of sidestep any connection between himself and NIL, the truth is we know he's probably getting, you know, a fairly sizable amount here. And if you're paying the player, I guess you have the freedom to choose to play him or not. We saw that with Nico Imaleva at Tennessee here this year, too. If anything related to his NIL rumors are true, he was making a lot of money, and yet Tennessee was content to sit him. Maybe Texas still feels content to sit Arch Manning. So clearly, if Manning wanted to leave because Ewers was coming back, he'd have all kinds of suitors. That's certainly still true. I suspect, though, that if Ewers does come back in some form or fashion, Texas orchestrates this with the Manning family fully aware of that and content to perhaps wait another year on this with the thought that uh, Manning can still show himself to be, you know, everything that he wants to be as a quarterback prospect. But it's obvious these rumors are going to get here, but it is certainly far from obvious that Manning really would take the step to transfer. My assumption is that he probably won't. And then finally, we know that Kyle McCord is leaving Ohio State. He's a name in the transfer portal. There's been some talk he might go to Miami. You know, by the way, I guess there was also some chatter that Manning might go to Miami, but I don't believe that for a second. But we know McCord is leaving Ohio State. But what's also interesting right now is, is that there has been some chatter that Ohio State might also be the most likely landing spot for Cam Ward. Now, Ward is not a name that means the same thing to everybody in our audience, but you should know of all of the potentially available transfers in this year's market, Ward, I believe, is thought to by far and away be the best, and he is probably an example of something that exists in this year's transfer market that did not exist a year ago. There was no quarterback that transferred last year that immediately made the team that he transferred to into a playoff contender the way that, like, say, Caleb Williams going to USC had been the year before that. We didn't really have that prior to the start of the 2023 season, but if Ward were to go to Ohio State, that would be an example of that where Clearly, Ward says, after spending some time at Wazoo, I'm ready to put myself into the highest possible college football conversation to show people how good I can possibly be. And it also shows you this, I believe, and this is the part that probably matters, that for an Ohio State program that this past year just did not quite play up to type and did not quite seem to have the the same kind of name brand play at quarterback that we had been used to seeing them have. This is an offseason. If we believe any of these Cam Ward rumors, and right now they're just rumors. There was an ESPN guy that put it out there then deleted the tweet. You know, if we believe these rumors, this is Ohio State saying, we want to fix the area on our roster that people expect us to be great. With Kyle McCord this past year, we weren't. We want to fix that for 2024. That could be one of the real themes of the offseason. Teams that miss out on the national championship, but unfortunately one of those teams is Georgia. Looking at what has made us great before, what needs to be fixed, and how can we spend this offseason making sure that happens. That's what Ohio State perhaps is doing when it comes to Cam Ward. That will be some of the same kind of conversations that Georgia's having perhaps there as well. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as I was uh, (laughs) – we'll do this sometime later on. We were just showing the Ryan Day video there. There's always been sort of a conspiratorial bend to some of our folks in our audience, perhaps started by me, I guess the idea that day dyes his beard in the video we were just showing of him there you certainly felt like you saw some gray kind of popping through on the top of that hair there for a minute so maybe that's some smoking gun evidence of uh, some of the beard dye stuff i mean am i right listen this is such a jerky thing to do um 
but unless there's something off with the color on this, that is a lot of gray hair peeking through right there. It ain't normally like that. I mean, can we say for those on video that something's going on there? He looks like a skunk. <laughs> Like, 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 what is going down with Brian Day's hair right there? Anyway, I guess I shouldn't be saying anything because I got my own issues too. But uh, at least wanted to point that out there. When I saw the video, I couldn't help but notice that. Hey, let me give a shout out to our friends at Mr. Rooter here for a moment because one of the things they can help you with is something pretty important for you. I'm talking about whole home water filtration or if you need your drains cleaned and you want to repair the water heater so much more. Our friends at Mr. Rooter can help, help take care of all those kinds of important things for you. Uh, addressing your plumbing needs as quickly as possible, residential, commercial, everything in between, you can rest assured that you can count on Mr. Rooter for upfront pricing, flexible service options, and exceptional customer service. Plus, it's just a $29 dispatch fee. So find them online, MrRooterGeorgia.com. That's the word Georgia spelled out, MrRooterGeorgia.com. So a couple of golden shoes here to wrap it up here today. And I think these are important messages to remember. First of all, starting with our buddy Ryan Walker. Let's give this to him. He writes in to say, regardless, I'm always going to be a dog. Win, lose, or draw, there is no in-between. It's a lifestyle, damn it. And he shows you a fun graphic here that says fan with a box to be checked, not checked. Super fan, still not checked. Die hard, still not checked. The box that's checked is till the casket drops. You better believe, Ryan. You feel that way. So many Georgia fans in our audience feel that way there as well. There is no setback that turns us back. Georgia fans just as loyal as ever and just as enthusiastic and optimistic as ever about the upcoming year. Now, when I first got this from my buddy Mad Dog, I thought this was Logan Roy for a minute, but apparently it's supposed to be someone who's not able to see. And Mad Dog writing in, this is what it looks like when the SEC review official was asked about the controversial Alabama reception. Yeah, one way or another, we were not happy with that SEC announcement yesterday at all. Poor, pitiful response in light of some very fair questions about why the Isaiah Bond catch wasn't stopped for additional slow motion replay review. So Mad Dog right to make fun of that via a golden shoe there as well. So we'll give him one too. And lousy stinking Gators, losing effective pass rushers, no real hope promise for the future. It's a total mess there. Uh, uh, Billy Napier being made fun of by high school kids this week, if you saw that video. In 1,125 days, that's how long it's been since they've beaten Georgia. And listen, Georgia may not be national champions this year, but they are still the champs of kicking around Florida. And so I guess we'll take some consolation from that. And we'll call that our Gator Hitter Updater and see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.